Whenever you rent or buy a video, you need to be sure that the film you choose is suitable for the audience at home. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words. Friday Night Movie Time, and this episode we're discussing the 1986 piece of crap, Big Ols. Ah, uh, yes. I should probably introduce you. I'm Lee. You Hello, are... and I'm Mike. Big Ols was a rather, I wouldn't say it was a big hit in the UK. It was a series of stories that first appeared in Popular Flying Magazine. It appeared in the first issue, short story called The White Fokker. Yeah, it genuinely was called that because a Fokker was, of course, a plane back in 1932. So this character's been around for quite some time. What was your first introduction to Biggles? Was it this film? Actual first introduction would have been there was a Blue Peter special report on it. Started with a sort of quite spectacular stunt. That sort of got me excited. I think that was around about the cinema release. I was nine when I saw that. I didn't actually go and see it at the movies. It's within that period of sort of Back to the Future coming out. And I remember wanting to hire Back to the Future out from the video shop a lot to see it the first time. But it was always out, so we ended up getting Biggles out quite a few times. And um, also Peggy Sue Got Married, which also dealt with time travel at this period. Um, I don't think I've seen that film since it came out. I watched it again last year out of curiosity just because I was listening to a lot of John Barry score music and he does a, another pretty memorable score for that. So I ended up uh, watching it last year and it, it held up really well compared to this anyway. <laughs> uh, my first introduction to Biggles was I knew who the character was. I don't remember going to see it in the cinema because by this time, obviously, I knew who Peter Cushing was because he'd been Grand Moff Tarkin. And I was aware that it was going to be his last film role because I was very sort of entrenched in British cinema, including the Hammer films. I knew he'd been in a lot with Christopher Lee. Van Helsing? Van Helsing, yep. Yeah. I couldn't remember, think of the name then, as well as being in the Hammer TV shows as well, quite, quite a few episodes. Oh, the Silent Scream episode is terrifying still. From doing the research into this, um, watching the making of and just looking at um, things, this was... Peter Cushing's last role and it actually makes me kind of sad of watching this because this was in you know this was 86 this was also the same year that Transformers the movie the animated movie came out which was Orson Welles last film role and for him to go out on even though he was known for very you know film noir you know changing cinema obviously the war of the worlds that film was very popular but this film even when you watch Peter Cushing being interviewed about it, you can tell that he knows it's a piece of shit. First shot we see of Peter Cushing, he reminds me of uh, the Slender Man character. I know what you mean. However, this film was made by somebody who had started off on TV, Michael Hoff. I think so. Um, who had started off doing British TV. 
This movie is shot like a TV show. So unedited as well. The budget for this film was £7 million. And I struggled to see where the money was spent. Because even though it was a B-movie, £7 million in the mid-80s was still quite a lot. Looking into the production, listening to another podcast about this, and um, looking into the production, this was the end of a period where the 80s Tory government were giving tax breaks to filmmakers, so a suggestion it was pretty much rushed into production. When you hear um, filmmakers talking about when they write stories, in the first draft, they throw every idea into it, no matter how silly it is. And finally, when you get to the final script, it's been very polished. They've taken out all of the chaff, shall we say. This film seems to be written by, well, first of all, it's written by the producer of the film, who don't ever think this was the only thing he'd ever written. And somebody else who hadn't really written that much. He'd written a few TV scripts. So it feels as though they didn't know what they were doing or what they were dealing with. Because when you see the introduction of protagonist, James Ferguson, just very random. Yeah, he's like a sort of probably coked up advertising executive, isn't he, in uh, in the 80s? But he, ju- he just, I mean, this, and obviously he's played by Alex Hyde-White, who had been, who had worked with, go on to work with Spielberg, who has done, you know, has worked with big directors and was a recognisable face. He just comes across as like a little kid. An excitability about it, isn't there? And yeah. almost a naivety to his character as well. And the first time you see him actually, when he goes, his, after his girlfriend drops him off, he goes into his apartment. That's really darkly lit. Whereas almost almost suspenseful, or the appearance of being suspenseful, then you have the introduction of Peter Cushing's character, who's really brightly lit, who we're supposed to believe that, you know, it's like, why, why is this man here? Why is he watching this this boy? And it's it's not, it's just this, bright lights like i'm i'm not getting what you're trying to say to me here no he's almost too sinister as well possibly because it's cushing and we associate that with him it is then he knocks on the door and asks ask him as any has it happened yet we're just as and just as clueless as james ferguson's like what are you talking about they've not built anything up in this movie no not at all and then of course he gets taken back in time i do want to say Air Commodore William Raymond is the name of Peter Cushing's character. Find out later on was Biggles' commanding officer. Character's supposed to be 80, and he goes back to 1917. So he would have been 12 or something? Yeah, he would have been 12. (laughs) In the making of, even Peter Cushing says, I would have only been about 17. And he gives a look of going, yeah, I know, I know, it's all (laughs) poor. No, and that that first shot of plane flipping over, that just looks appalling. I mean, it's possibly realistic the way a plane might sort of come into land quite slowly. But for a film, you know, we're trying to build excitement. It just looks really cheaply, shabbily done. It's it's almost as if they didn't understand the source material or what they were dealing with. This film should have been a British equivalent of Raiders of the Lost Ark or an action movie in that vein, the serialisation, which is what they kind of were trying to do. Did they try and just throw time travel in last minute because of, like, Back to the Future success, maybe, something like that? This film would have already been in production by the time Back to the Future had come out. The film is called Biggles. You would think that the main character would have been Biggles. Yes. 
not some other random character that it doesn't make any sense to. I know a lot of American studios will give filmmakers more money if they add an American character into it, so it will appeal to an American audience. You could have done that without time travel. You could have set it back in 1917. They clearly got the the sets, as we find out later on, of the trenches. The church does kind of make me laugh a bit of going, this is supposed to be in, during wartime. The church in France is very, very clean. Supporting cast-wise, I want to talk about our old friend William Hookins. Yeah. Play, this is supposed to be a film for, like, the family and kids, and he plays pretty massive pervert, doesn't he? One of the first things he does is make a cunnilingus joke about uh, having a new option for their little cardboard cutout stars business. He wants to have something that has the tagline, Munch a Starlet tonight. Because they could sell it to the Playboy channel. Right. If this is aimed at kids... What kid's going to know what the Playboy channel is? And also, when I watched it again to make notes for this, you know the celebrity dinners? I thought it was dinners with celebrities. Me too. It's Yeah, it's not. It's the food that they're eating. It's the microwave meals. I thought it was referring to the cardboard cutouts because we get a big shot of Arnie in the mid-80s, don't we? You know, it cuts to Arnie. Wow. We also get, you know, a picture of... Clint Eastwood on the wall. This film is so badly made, they could have just put a massive sign saying Swanky Ad Executive's Office in the background, and it would have worked just as well. Because it jumps so quickly from who the hell is James Fer- Jim Ferguson, who is this creepy guy, then we get the time travel back, which, let's be honest, is never explained. Cushing says later on, oh, time travel is recorded throughout history. No, it isn't. <laughs> not, not only that, he says, Biggles is your time twin. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> when you look at another time travel movie, like I've never, I'm not a big fan of time travel movies yeah. where they use it as a cop out. I mean, Back to the Future, that's the plot of the movie. Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't make any difference to that. But when they just go, oh, it's time travel, at least in Looper, the Bruce Willis film, he gives an explanation of going, it would take too long for me to explain to you and I'd have to use all like pieces of string and things like that and you wouldn't get it. At least that's an explanation. We go from him jumping back in time, seeing Biggles, then we go to the offices of celebrity dinners. Again, awful. And as you said, William Hookins plays a massive pervert. A lot of the characters in these in this film don't need to be there. He's one character that doesn't need to be there. When um, Jim's girlfriend wants to go and see him in London because she thinks he's having like a nervous breakdown, the boss says, I'll come with you. And she says, no, no, I'll take the fat pervert with me instead. Yeah. I don't know why she's there either. The really poor setup for for the joke. Chuck Dinsmore's the character's name, where he takes a bite out of the food and then puts it back. And then later on, we see... Mrs. Find, who must be some culinary journalist who you're not going to get that for a microwave meal. Then obviously we have him jumping back in time again to meet Biggles, where he jumps into the back of a plane. He's going to do reconnaissance for to see what the big scary weapon that the Germans have. What's scary about a massive radar dish? They didn't even try to make it something. They do that overused sound effect from the 80s and even going back to the 70s. I can remember hearing it in the Spy Who Loved Me sort of radar, radar sound. 
speak, speaking of sound, something that we have jumped over is the bloody awful music in this film. Oh, yeah, someone's attacked the synthesizer, taking a lot of 80s coke. You know, what's the song called? Do You Want to Be a Hero? That's the one. Which is the opening. One, it dates this film so badly, so you you know exactly when it's made. It doesn't suit the, the tone of the film whatsoever. Something like this should be classically scored. Probably couldn't have afforded John Williams or John Barry. Or, they probably could, could have got a young Danny Elfman. Probably Alan Silvestri, maybe. Yeah, somebody, anyone to to score it. Somebody that knows what they're doing. Jim Ferguson is back with Biggles. This is where the they set off the weapon, but they managed to get the photo. But then all of a sudden, Jim Ferguson jumps back through time to the modern day, where he goes back to the offices and co- and he's covered in dirt and just runs off, saying, "I've got to go to London." But unfortunately, how he comes back from these uh, events. I mean, if you're a time twin, it got me thinking, what if you're in the middle of having a really big shit? Yeah. It's hanging, hanging, it's hanging halfway out your backside and you suddenly get put into the trenches. Just have <laughs> shit in the trenches. <laughs> so I'm used to it, yeah. So then he says, I have to go to London because that's where Air, Com- Air Commodore William Raymond can explain yeah. more of this to him. And I did tell you a few weeks ago that there's a guy I work with he went to university in London in the seventies, and he actually went to a party at an apartment in the uh, in the, in the. I do remember you telling me the that bridges of the tower, the towers of the bridge. I remember you telling me that they, they, they do make... exist, or they did then anyway. Yeah, there probably is still somebody living in them now. I'd love to go in and see it. One thing I did want to bring up when he goes back in time, this is has to be one of the worst shot action sequences I've ever seen. The dogfight. Oh, is that a dogfight where the soundtrack almost becomes like softcore porn? Yeah. Yeah, it's like um, almost erotic. This is supposed to give a sense of tension that there's going to be this big, are they going to survive? Is Are they going to be shot down? They're about 10 feet off the floor. If they get shot down, they just land. Yeah, as they did earlier on when Biggles survived the flipping of the plane in his first jump if back. This, if this had been high up in the sky, yes, there's, there's an element of danger to it and this, the tension builds up. But there's there's nothing there. It's like, okay, you get shot down, you just land. Even if you get shot down and the engine cuts out, you can jump out of the plane and still survive. John Hoff, he made a movie for Disney back in 1982 called The Watcher in the Woods, which is a really good film, although I watched it with Debbie a few years ago. And with the ending of it and the explanation, she did say, that is what someone in my class would have written as an explanation. And her... She teaches children of 10. Yes. Which kind of spoiled it for me, but I still find that film very scary. Yes. But he seemed to understand tension in that. But with this, no, there's nothing. It's just all over the place, this film. Yeah, one thing about the music I wanted to say, when uh, the scene where Jim is shaving and he's zapped back to the convent, a five-second burst of drums from another one bites the dust. I suppose that was to get around the uh, use of the actual full song. At the convent, we'll meet Biggles' three friends. Can't remember their names, but I know one act was in a Doctor Who story back in the 80s, the two Doctors. Yes, he was. Algie, Bertie and Ginger. Those are the three. Who were characters from the book. Yeah. The one thing I thought they did right in this movie was they they cast Biggles really well. Yes. Was how I imagined he would be. 
Bertie Ginger and Algie, they were great. They were the chocks away, that type of British hero. It's just everything around it was so bad. The most interesting thing, and it's coming up now, is the love story between the lovely Francesca Gonshaw. Who has the one facial expression as an actress still. Yes. Most British people and most British audience at this time would have known her as Maria from Hello, Hello. Hello, Hello recently came under fire for um, badly stereotyping French people and, and German people, even though the series had been finished for over 30 years. And there is not one accent in that show that is as offensive as her accent in this. She does a brilliant French accent in Hello, Hello. I have no idea what her accent is supposed to be in this film. Is it supposed to be German? Really? I think so. I don't know. It was just... Just such a forgettable character. They could have made this story so much better. They could have set it in 1917. The story could have involved a love story with her. Jim Ferguson could have been an American soldier because it was 1917. The Americans would have been in the war by this time. They have trenches. They have they have enough of the sets. The time travel didn't need to be in this. And I'm glad you said the phrase chocks away because that's the name of the uh, other awful song. And we get the standoff scene between Biggles and the, uh, I was going to say, General von Klinkerhofen. Oh, as, as, you, as you said to me a few weeks ago after you watched it the first time, this reminded you of the scene from Blackadder Goes Forth. Yeah, Rick and Aid, Lord Flashheart and the Red Baron. Very much what this was. In fact, Richard Curtis and Ben Elton had actually done a better version of this scene for yeah. comedy effect. So then after this, we we get them trying to escape. I did like the use of the uh, razor as a grenade. That was uh, quite funny. <laughs> really? um, I it made just, me giggle anyway. It made me cringe. And this is also the time where he flashes back to modern days and his girlfriend comes back. Because obviously no one's going to believe that he's actually going back and forth in time, even though he's magically appeared and covered in dirt earlier on in the movie. And then old uh, Hootkins turns up at the hotel door there and describes Jim in the nun's outfit as being a, a trans-religious person. Yeah. Which is something he's totally made up in his mind for his own fantasy. Jim or Hookins? No, Hookins. <laughs> they could have done s- such uh, good things to this. They could have explained what, how the time travel was working, yeah. of why he was going back in time, because it's never once explained. Piece, little set piece to set piece this film isn't it and just yeah too much laziness in explanation the way in which it's shot the way in which it's lit almost is like by somebody that doesn't know what they're doing say if you and i go oh let's go make a film we've got all the equipment do you know it works not really but we'll give it a go me with my mates uh 30 years ago yeah <laughs> with same, a video with, camera <laughs> just messing around with the camera going this will be quite fun debbie this time jumps onto Jim and ends up going back in time with him. Yep. And we uh, have a scene in uh, Beckton Gasworks, which was used for two other 80s films. Do you know what they were? It was one full metal jacket. It was. And the other one was the an intro to one of the Bond movies of the 80s. Uh, think think of a helicopter, blow, Blofeld on, a heli- on the side of a helicopter. I can't think where it is. For your eyes only, when he drops uh, in uh, the right. chimney, that's Beckton Gasworks. 
to better film. And what I like most about this is this was my choice of movie. Yeah. Right. So, yes, she, his girlfriend then comes back to the past with him. She now believes that, you know, he's not going insane. One thing I do like is the fact that they've given him an Uzi, a machine gun, which wasn't around in 1917. I think it's the funniest bit in this film when he's machine gunning the police on his return to the 1980s. And then we sort of hop back and forth in time. They're looking for Biggles and Jim. Yeah, and... some decent helicopter work when he's being chased. You know, the buildings to the side of uh, the one side of the tower bridge. Now, I'm not taking anything away from Biggles' ability to fly a, a plane. Would he be able to fly a helicopter, do you think? I'd say a pretty definitive no. Yeah, exactly. This, like, you know, as, as long as it'll fly, I can fly anything. He would have sat in that and just gone, I don't know what any of this is. Oh, it's just making me cringe even thinking about it. The helicopter goes back in time as well. That gentleman hanging on the outside did a pretty sterling job, the stunt man. He definitely earned his money being in this piece of shit. The one scene that, that's coming up, which, again, makes no sense whatsoever, is when Biggles is shooting, trying to shoot the plane down with a machine gun. You, you're not doing anything. This film insults the audience from the very beginning. I would agree with that. I chose this because I just watched it. I hadn't seen it in a long time. I thought, okay, it's a bit silly, but it's all right. But then going back and watching it, going, no, no, this should be dead. This should be buried. No one should ever see this movie. And of course, should we mention to the listeners how it's all sort of wrapped up? The main part of the story is the uh, speakers on the helicopter, don't they? They destroy the sound weapon with more sound. Do you think this film could be better or do you think it was going to fail from the beginning? I just would have liked to have seen a straight Biggles adaptation, as you said, Raider style. None of the time travelling time twins malarkey. And obviously at the very end, we get the scene of they're all tied up, which is yeah. clearly you know going to be the next story. That was the best bit of this film. Yeah, Jim, of course, falls in the river on his time return. I was going to say he gets arrested by the police for the uh, machine gunning earlier on. Peter Cushing gets him off, not in that way, <laughs> by saying he's some sort of special police. As I said earlier, I felt so sorry for Peter Cushing, this being your last movie, because he is acting in a much better film. And so Why didn't he try and even make Hootkin's character even mildly endearing? He's at the guy's wedding and he's end up with a ring in his mouth, you know, before he gives it to Jim. Yeah. With all those skanky sweets in his pocket. You wouldn't give you wouldn't give him the ring. You would just no. go out getting someone else. You're a creepy pervert. That ring would have been up his ass. Would have been right up his hoop. Right up his hooper. <laughs> hooper. It makes me right. think of Jaws. Right then, Mike. Let's wrap this up. Would you recommend this film to anyone listening? No. Categorically, hundred percent no. It just can best be avoided. It's there. It was, I was going to say, semi-enjoyable as a kid. Bit of a curiosity after 30 years when I first watched it again for this episode. But almost had to switch it off again on the second viewing for uh, the notes I was going to make. It took me three watches. I, I did it in three de different segments just because I couldn't get through it. And there was a lot of the time I would just jump bits. Because, like, okay, well, I know what happens here. I, I don't want to have to sit here and watch this again. 
has there been sort of Biggles TV show since, or they've tried to get one off the ground? They attempted to make a series of Biggles. Have they got to change things from the books? They Was there sort of race, racist overtones in the books or undertones? There pro- probably was. Do you remember? Obviously, you know that there's a chip shop near you called Dick Barton's. Yes. That was around about the same time as the Biggles. And that has a lot of racist undertones to it. Right then. So, marks out of 10 for Biggles. Two. I'm going to go for four. Only because Neil Dixon did a fantastic job as being Biggles. Yeah. He wasn't in the movie enough. And because it was Peter Cushing's last role. But yeah. apart one, from that, one, one point for him, one point for So absolutely gutted he never married Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he retire because his wife was ill? Yeah, and he named a flower after her. And he went on Blue Peter to show more or less nippers the flower that he named after her. And then he disappeared into obscurity. So then, Mike, what's the next film? It's your choice this time. I don't know, we've had two sort of, well, one we really didn't like. Dracula was a bit middling. So I'm going to pick one of my favourite ever movies, favourite ever comedy movies, 1984. The real screen breakout, even though he'd done Trading Places by this point, of one Eddie Murphy. But yeah, it's 1984's Beverly Hills Cop. Nice. Uh, sort of teaser thoughts for you, Lee, on Beverly Hills last, Cop. how many times you've seen it and... I've seen Beverly Hills Cop 2 more, even though I like it less. Bye-bye from me. And bye-bye from him and me to a goodbye.